Lord be with you. Oh, Garth's revised it. And with your spirit. I'm a pre-revision guy. How about just an also with you? May the force be with you, Pete. There you go. John chapter 12. Six days before the Passover celebration began, Jesus arrived in Bethany, the home of Lazarus, the man he had raised from the dead. A dinner was prepared in Jesus' honor. Martha served... That's a a running joke, by the way. Conversation for a different sermon, but yes. Martha served, and Lazarus was among those who ate with him. Then Mary took a 12-ounce jar of expensive perfume made from essence of nard, and she anointed Jesus' feet with it, wiping his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance. But Judas Iscariot, the disciple who would soon betray him, said, that perfume was worth a year's wages. It should have been sold and the money given to the poor. Not that he cared for the poor. He was a thief. And since he was in charge of the disciples' money, he often stole some for himself. Jesus replied, Leave her alone. She did this in preparation for my burial. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. When all the people heard of Jesus' arrival, they flocked to see him, and also to see Lazarus, the man Jesus had raised from the dead. Then the leading priests decided to kill Lazarus too. How's that? That's like, you're a marked man. Why? I didn't do nothing. I got sick and died. Then I got raised from the dead. It wasn't my fault. (laughs) Then the leading priest decided to kill Lazarus too, for it was because of him that many of the people had deserted them and flocked to Jesus. Oh, I'm sorry, and believed in Jesus. The next day, The news that Jesus was on the way to Jerusalem swept through the city. A large crowd of Passover visitors took palm branches and went down the road to meet him. They shouted, praise God, blessings on the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Hail to the King of Israel. Jesus found a young donkey and rode on it, fulfilling the prophecy that said, don't be afraid, people of Jerusalem. Look, your king is coming riding on a donkey's colt. His disciples didn't understand at the time that this was a fulfillment of prophecy. Think about this. Just stay stay with this thought. His disciples didn't understand at the time that this was a fulfillment of prophecy. But after Jesus entered into his glory, they remembered what had happened and realized that these things had been written about him. Many in the crowd had seen Jesus call Lazarus from the tomb, raising him from the dead, and they were telling others about it. And that was the reason that so many went out to meet him, because they had heard about this miraculous sign. And the Pharisees said to each other, there's nothing we can do. 
Look, everyone's gone after him. Some Greeks had come to Jerusalem for the Passover celebration, and they paid a visit to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and they said, Sir, we want to meet Jesus. Philip told Andrew about it, and they went together to ask Jesus. And Jesus replied, this is fascinating, by the way, the Gentiles want to meet you, and instead of saying, cool, I'm going to go do that, this is his response. Now the time has come for the Son of Man to enter into his glory. I tell you the truth, unless a kernel of wheat is planted in the soil and dies, it remains alone. But its death will produce many new kernels, a plentiful harvest of new lives. Those who love their life in this world, take this in, Gateway. Those who love their life in this world will lose it. Those who care nothing for their life in this world will keep it for eternity. Anyone who wants to be my disciple must follow me. Because my servants must be where I am. And the Father will honor anyone who serves me. Now my soul is deeply troubled. Should I pray, Father, save me from this hour? But this is the very reason I came. Father, bring glory to your name. This is the word of the Lord. Mary gets it, and the disciples get it. Isn't it interesting that there aren't any followers of Lazarus running around on the planet? He died, and he was raised. Why isn't there a religion founded around him? because of the meaning of his death and resurrection. Did he die for you? Did Lazarus die for you? Was Lazarus raised for you? There's a deeply subjective element in our faith. It's not just who Jesus is objectively, It's not just what we say about Jesus doctrinally. What puts the power in Christianity is the for me. It's the subjective encounter with the living person of Jesus. What makes the resurrection good news is, yeah, yeah, of course death death itself is defeated. But the best part of the resurrection for those of us who are in love with him is we get him back. The best part of the death of Jesus, of course, it's a terribly painful thing. This is the season where we actually enter in to experiencing the pain of watching someone we care so much about, someone we admire so much, someone we treasure so much. We retell this story of his suffering and his crucifixion, and it's, doesn't it put an ache in your belly? And you read through these crucifixion narratives, doesn't it just hurt? Why? I don't remember ever feeling that way when I read about Lazarus dying. And I never shouted and danced a jig on Sunday because Lazarus was raised. 
It's the personal. It's the one with whom I have to do. It's the one I've fallen in with. It's the one I've committed to. It's the one who knows me. It's the one who I've encountered. And that's what makes this dying and rising of Jesus transform the whole world and not just information. And there are those who don't have this information. The death of Jesus and the resurrection of Jesus, I should say there are some who don't have this personal engagement. The death and resurrection of Jesus to them is the same as the death and resurrection of Lazarus. It's just information. Unchanged by it. Disconnected from it. But Mary gets it. I remember years ago I went up to a, I was a very young believer, just months old in the Lord. My buddy says, hey, let's go to a, some, some meetings up in Canada. I said, okay, cool. That's all you had to say was, we're going. And I said, fine. I didn't research the church. I didn't research the speakers. If I had, I would have. This was, I'm not saying there was no internet. But the internet was a little different back then. If I had researched it, they would have probably said, oh, this, is, this church is full of heresy. It's demonic. It's deception. Because anytime the Holy Spirit does anything good in the world, it gets attacked. It gets criticized, right? And the, it, if no one's attacking you, you're probably not doing much for the, for the Lord or for the world. You're supposed to nod and say, man, that's true. If everyone likes you, Jesus says, you're probably a false prophet. You're supposed to say, yeah, that's Luke. That's right there. It's right there. Woe to you when everyone speaks well of you. That's how they treated the false prophets. False prophets just tell everyone what they want to hear. But if you look like Jesus, you're going to get treated like Jesus. If you act, you know? And what is, what is why, like Jesus, he said a lot of brilliant things, but it was his actions in the face of mistreatment that revealed God. So he says, hey, you want to follow me? Your actions in the face of your mistreatment will be the message of your life. How they treated me, they will treat you. And if my life is in you and you say yes to me and you keep walking out your yes to me, the Father will bring about the Father's results in your life just like he does in my life. Not without death, but on the other side of death. Not without pain, but on the other side of pain. Do you trust me? Will you follow me? Will you lose your life? What you think your life should look like in this world, you're going to have to surrender that and keep walking in the path of letting love be real in here. In here, in here, all the way in here. So anyway, back to the story. My buddy says, you want to go up to this church? I don't research it. I just say, sure. So we drive up there and we get our little lanyards on and pay our little fees to get in. And I walk in the back doors of the sanctuary of this building and like the Spirit of God hits me like a sauna. You know what I'm talking about? Hits me like when someone who showers too long has showered and the vent's not on and you open the door and what is happening in here? I walk in and that's how the presence hits me. And it's the same presence that I, I, I learned to recognize in my private prayer times in my room where I would shut my door, turn my candle on and turn the lights off and just, just hang out with God and talk to him. You know, no one else around. And by the way, no one else around is extremely important. It's extremely important. What you do with, in secret with no one else around, like... Take that more seriously. 
Take what you do when people are watching a little less seriously and take what you do when no one's watching a lot more seriously. Because God will take care of the public stuff if you'll take care of the private stuff. He'll put power on you in public if you'll put sincerity and diligence and, and vulnerability with him in private when no one's watching. So anyway, I walk in and it's the same presence I've come to recognize when no one's around. And it's as thick as when no one's around. And that's really rare for me. Like the presence comes on me real thick when no one's around. But for that same measure of presence to be there in public when everyone's around, that's called a move of God. That's, that, that's intriguing to me. And that's helpful. So I walk in and already I know, okay, whatever's going on in here, it's God. It's my God. It's the God that I've come to know. But then pretty quick I start to see things that I'm like, that ain't cool. Worship leader on the stage doing the Michael Jackson pelvic thrust under these convulsions and contortions of the Holy Spirit. And I said, would Jesus do that? That's wacky. And I was offended. People would grab the microphone and yell in tongues into the microphone with no interpretation. And I'm going, didn't I just read that in Corinthians? Shouldn't someone with the gift of interpretation say, this is what is being said? And not only that, but occasionally they'd speak in English and take passages out of context against the meaning of the passage. It was really frustrating. I said, huh? What are they doing? But the singing times were glorious. And the preaching was out of this world, solid, rock-solid, biblical, exegetical, story time. Oh, so much wisdom, so much truth. But it was, the, it was the stuff on the fringe that was like, what is going on up in here? And I'd look around, and in, in the between sessions, people would be out smoking and doing their thing. And in sessions, it seemed like almost, it almost felt like a dangerous mixture of we're in this for us. Like we want an experience with God because we're just addicted to feeling happy. And really, that's what we're chasing is happiness and feeling good. And church was fun. Anyway, back to living for me. And so I stopped singing. Because I said, man, I don't want to be signed on with this behavior around me. And then they started doing stuff that I was like, oh, are you serious right now? They're like, We're gonna, we got these dangerous lead fillings in our teeth. And I thought, well, then go to the dentist and get him out. We're going to pray that the Lord turns them to gold. And I thought... He could turn them to teeth. What's wrong with y'all? Why do these white, rich, North American Christians that have enough money to go to the dentist need God to put gold in their face? And I was offended. I was offended with them not being biblical with tongues. I was offended with their gyrations of the pelvic thrust during the singing time. I was just offended. I was offended by, in the middle of the preaching, somebody would feel God and they'd get all excited and distract everyone from the sermon by yelling the word, Whoa. And I don't mean like, whoa. I mean like, whoa. Whoa. That second whoa was what made me want to drop kick you. It was the second whoa. And I'm like, I'm trying to hear John Arnott tell me about sonship and adoption from Galatians 4. So if you'll just shut up. 
And at some point in the midst of the weekend, the father whispered to me and said, Why aren't you worshiping me? I said, What? Why aren't you worshiping me? Well, you know why. This is jacked up. What does that have to do with you? I'm going to be endorsing it. If I like enter in, I'll be endorsing everything happening around here. Isn't it weird how the Lord asks questions and then you know you're in trouble? So here was the follow-up question. Whose servants are they? I said, oh, snap, I'm in trouble now. I knew he was referencing Romans. Do you remember this? Paul says, who are you to judge another man's servants? God's able to make them stand. Who do you think you are? You want to be in trouble with me? You judging my son? You think I can't talk to my son? You think I can't train him? You think I can't pull him to where he needs to be? You think that you are the one who knows? Judge with an evil heart. Who do you think you are? Whose servants are they, Tim? I said, I don't like where this is going so far. (laughs) So far, my answers feel like they're real easy, but they come at the cost of me being right. Anyone with me? Why aren't you worshiping me? You know. Whose servants are they? Oh, boy. Back to the original question. Tim, so why aren't you worshiping me? We've been over this. I kind of already explained that part. Uh And I cut the legs out from under it, so you're left with no excuses. So then he says this. Have I done anything for you? Oh, snap. That's exactly what I told him, Bunny. I said, you've done everything for me. When I was your enemy, you died. When I was wayward, you came and found me. When I had nothing to give you but sin and selfishness, you put your love on me and put your spirit inside me. You put Jesus inside me. You put me in this covenant. I'm not even under law. I'm under grace. You've given me everything I need and you've given me more love than I could possibly even comprehend or receive or revel in. And everything I'm doing right now is all grace. I can't, honestly, I'm blown away. I have no idea why you love me the way you love me. And he goes, mm-hmm. So why aren't you worshiping me? I said, I guess I have no real reasons and excuses left. He said, why don't you sing to me? So I started singing. And then he's like, good, that's, that's, how does that feel? I'm like, it feels a little better than not singing. Maybe you could raise your hands. Come on, it don't take all that. Just a little something here, just a little something here. Ah, you're amazing. Your love, you're amazing. Oh, does that feel okay, Tim? Yeah, you're amazing. I don't know what I was doing. Oh, maybe, maybe you feel like dancing, Tim. Nope, don't. <laughs> I don't know if you noticed what I know about me, but I'm white. I don't know if you've noticed that part, Lord. No, I haven't noticed. Why don't you try? Well, how about I can just jump? If I just jump in vague rhythm. So next thing you know, I'm shouting and jumping and spinning. Looking just 
like the rest of the folk. No longer judging the rest of the folk, it's interesting how your perspective shifts. The next thing you know, I'm prophesying over folk who I was just judging. What's up with that? That's different. Next thing you know, I have this clear revelation of he wants your heart. He's not after your offering. He's not after your sacrifice. He wants your heart. He wants intimacy. And I was withholding my heart while attending services <laughs> in the name of someone else's my problem. Someone else's my problem. Well, you know, someone else's my problem, Lord. Really, Tim? Is that what's going on, really? Mary gets it. Mary gets it. And then he goes onto the donkey, and then he rides into the city, and then his disciples are shouting and singing and hooping and hollering, and the Pharisees are by, and they say, You hear what they're saying? You hear what they're saying? They're calling you the Messiah. They're giving, they're not just saying you're Messiah, they're giving you worship. Why don't you hush them? And what is Jesus' response? Luke 19 says, I tell you the truth. If my disciples would be silent, you know the next line? The stones would cry out. Guys, they already are. The stones are already crying out. He's not saying they'd start. He's saying if your disciples are silent, everything already cries holy and it can't be silenced. Every nook, every cranny, every inch of this universe is already crying holy. We don't live in a universe in which God is one of the objects along with us, but a little larger than us. This massive universe exists in God. Colossians 1 says that by the word of Christ, everything holds together. Everything exists in Jesus and for Jesus. And if you see, James says it this way, every good and perfect gift comes from the Father. If you see any kindness in the world, any goodness, any truth, anywhere in anyone, it's the stones crying out. But the disciples have a unique privilege. We get to recognize it. It's not just, oh, yeah, Jesus was raised from the dead and he died. Yeah, okay. He's a king. He's a king. No, it's personal. It's intensely personal. And because it's intensely personal, it makes it intensely transformative and it makes it intensely powerful. I heard Tony Robbins say, I may have heard of Anthony Robbins. He's a motivational, you could say he's a secular but that's part of this message this morning. The stones are already crying out. There is no secular. There's not an inch of, of universe. There's no real estate left over to be purchased by anything secular. It's all Jesus. There's no unspiritual component of any life. So Tony Robbins says, more important than the answers for how you're going to get free is your reason for wanting to get free. Answers will come if you get in touch with your reasons. 
And I'm listening and I'm going, this man is in touch with the Spirit of God and he might not even know that. The stones are crying out. The stones are crying out. Did you know this planet, uh, historically, except for the last 200 years, has only uh, been able to sustain maybe a billion, billion and a half human lives on it? What are we up to now? Somewhere between seven and eight or something like that? When I was little, it was six. What has enabled that? Genesis 2. Fill the earth, subdue it, cultivate it. Bring the potential out of the soil. You alone, Adam, you alone of all the creatures have been endowed with the Imago Dei. You're unique among all the creatures in that my reign on the earth is supposed to flow through you to them. Romans 8 says they're groaning. The creation is groaning, waiting for us to step into our right relationship with Abba so that we'll at the same time step into our right relationship with the creation so that the creation can flow in the productivity and order of heaven. And we've tapped into stuff. And now we can bring enough food out of the ground to feed seven billion souls. So anywhere, any, anywhere someone gets free, like Alcoholics Anonymous or Narcotics Anonymous, they might not even know Jesus' name, but they get free. Who gets credit for that? There's no secular world, guys. There's not one inch of ground left over. The stones are already crying out. But for those of us who are in, who have a perspective on the reason behind the answers, we go, oh, it's Jesus. It's the goodness of the Father. The hymn says, he shines in all that's fair. You remember this, right? It's not just God is good all the time. It's that everything that's good is God's. The intelligence of the devil is a gift on loan. The power of every human, even if they're abusing their gifts and powers, are crying out. Jesus is holy. Jesus is worthy. So back to Mary and back to me. Mary knows. Mary braves the water and brings the worship in spite of other disciples not understanding what she's doing. She does not let their criticism and what they fail to see stop her in her worship. There are times in your life and mine when what we're going through is going to attempt to speak to our mind and have us shut down our worship. And by worship, I don't mean our song on Sundays. Music is one expression of worship, but we should never reduce worship to music. Worship is a life poured out with and for the Lord. 
Why don't you go ahead and stand? If these disciples are silent, the stones will cry out. There's a second sense. Creation is groaning and longing. It's groaning and longing for the sons and daughters of God to get rightly connected to Abba and and come online, come alive, come fully alive. Let this love fuel everything. Let this love actually touch the deep places in our hearts and let it take shape. Let this love lead us to let our lives be a prophecy. I don't mean have a prophetic gift where you speak over people. I mean let your life speak. Garth shared with us at council meeting, even if they are deaf to your words, they can't be blind to your actions. And Jesus in the death and his dying and rising is the clearest and brightest expression of what God is like. If he told us he loved us, it would have never gotten through. But if he lets us do our worst, if he lets Satan's sin and death do their worst, and he enacts, lives out self-giving, holy, sacrificial love, and he refuses to let that thing Sin against him, creates sin in him, shut his heart down to them, but instead pours his life out to them and all of us, then that's the clearest expression of what God is like that has ever happened on the planet or ever will in eternity. It's a brighter expression of God's glory than the light that blinded Paul on the road or the light that Isaiah saw in chapter 6 or the light that Moses saw in Exodus 33. A brighter expression of God's glory is the humility and self-giving love of Jesus. And that's the shape he's trying to make of our lives, people. That's what he's doing with your life. The expectation that Jesus is gonna come and then he's gonna be made king and it's all gonna get better from there on out. He had to repeatedly surrender that to say, no, it's not about winning. It's about love. It's about losing with integrity. It's about letting Father raise me from death. That's where the resurrection power flows. We are so strategically poised in life right now. We are exactly where he wants us. We can say yes to love. We can let his love come in and fill in all those deep, dark cracks, but it's probably not gonna happen divorced from the path of obedience. Oh man, everybody's phone, including mine. Father, heal my heart, I say. And he says, your heart will be healed as you obey me. And then I say, oh, no. Okay. So church, let's, let's do this with no music. With no music right now. Can you give him your heart? Whatever is the excuse that's causing you, I mean, maybe it's not. Maybe nothing's holding you back. But if there's anything holding back your worship, if there's anything causing you not to give him his rightful worship in your life, can you, lay it, can you lay it aside? Has he done something for you? Has he been faithful to you? Has he rescued you out of anything? Has he revealed his goodness to you? Did he set his seal of affection upon you? Saying, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Then maybe somebody ought to praise him. Maybe somebody ought to lift up some kind of a shout or some kind of a noise, even if you're white. 
Maybe somebody ought to get some victory in the secret place, not because it feels good, but because my life is not my own. I was bought with price. Maybe somebody could lose their life in this world that that seed could die and that thing be multiplied and the kingdom can come through a life surrendered that is a prophecy. Not a person who brings a prophecy, but a life that is a prophecy. All right, let's pray. Abba, we worship you. We refuse, God. We refuse to pull away from you, Jesus. We refuse the excuses. We say yes, a thousand times yes. Yes when it's easy, yes when it's hard, yes when we feel we've got nothing left to give. We say yes, we surrender, we trust you, God, we trust you. Your words, your ways, your will, your love, higher, deeper, wiser than mine. You're better than we think. You're purer than we know. You're closer than we think. And Holy Spirit, I pray, I pray that you blow through these hearts and my heart too. And you bring us to a brand new revelation of just how in we are. We're not out. We're not disqualified. We are all the way in and nothing's taking us out. We're not off point. We're not off mission. We're in the palm of your hand, and your palms have our name engraved on them. We are so in